Hello, I'm Tom Martin, and welcome to the first ever UFC 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to September of 1995 and reviewing the UFC 7 Brawl in Buffalo from New York pay-per-view. And joining me on the show, we've got Bob Bamber. Hi, Bob. Hello. And Chris White. Hi, Tom. How you doing? Yeah, pretty well, thanks. Pretty well. So, this is volume four uh, of this month's uh, show. Um, volume one is uh, WCW, which is uh, an in-depth rundown of the first Monday Nitro and the full brawl pay-per-view. Um, volume two is WWF, uh, reviewing the In Your House 3 pay-per-view. And volume three is covering all your ECW action for the month of September 1995. Um, but just to reiterate, this this volume will be focusing on UFC, so the world of mixed martial arts, otherwise known as MMA. So um, if uh, you are new, to, uh, like we are to a degree, to the, um, the world of MMA, it's probably useful that we can give you an introduction on the UFC um, and what it's all about. So here we go. Welcome to our first foray into mixed martial arts, specifically the UFC. This episode is very much a pilot, so your feedback on it will be greatly appreciated by the usual channels. The first thing that you will notice if you're a regular listener to the wrestling shows is that this isn't in 20 years ago mode like the other ones are. This was largely Chris's own doing in the first few minutes of the show, taking it in that direction, but it does make more sense to do it this way, particularly given our collective knowledge of MMA isn't of the same standard as it is of wrestling. That being said, UFC at this time is a relatively different beast to what it is now. Still seen as underground, still not legal in many places in the United States, and with a range of fighters that make it in much less sterile environment than the one in 2015, and in many ways a lot more fun. There are no weight categories, and the fighters are much less well-rounded. You often find people that are good at their own discipline, but very weak in other areas that you would expect modern-day MMA fighters to be solid in. This is much more mixed martial arts, as in two fighters from completely different disciplines, rather than today where mixed martial arts is more of a discipline within its own right. UST 7, the first event that we are covering here, came nearly two years after the first show in November 1993. Up until this stage, there were relatively few rules. No biting or eye gouging seemed to be the limit of it. Matches could be ended by submission, knockout or the fighter's corner throwing in the towel. There were no judges, not until the next UFC after the one we're reviewing today, and there were no rounds either. Rules vary, but for the show we're covering tonight, it's a 20-minute time limit for tournament matches and, unmercifully, 30 minutes in the superfight. In the event of no clear winner, in the tournament formats that's used every UFC show to date, an alternate will be progressed into the next round. UFC shows to date have been dominated by Royce Gracie, who won events 1, 2 and 4, and didn't even lose at number 3, withdrawing after a quarter-final victory due to fatigue. Gracie and Ken Shamrock faced off in the Superfight Championship at UFC 5, the match going 36 minutes before being declared a draw. Gracie would depart the company after this show and not appear again until 2006. At UFC 6, Shamrock defeated Dan Seven and came into this show as the reigning Superfight Champion. Given the USC's underground nature and lack of exposure, shows had an incredible word-of-mouth leverage, seeing some big pay-per-view buy rates. Only two shows to date had done less than 100,000 buys, and the second USC show did 300,000 buys. The show we're reviewing today did around 190,000. To put that into context, WWF SummerSlam a couple of weeks prior did just over 200,000 buys. The show also ran into serious issues that it went into overtime and cost the company a serious amount of money, believed to be in the region of over half a million dollars. Anyway, sit back and enjoy our opening look at an early UFC show. It's a lot of fun. Okay, and so... Um well, the way we're going to run this is we're, we're going to um, run through the results of the uh, the, the pay-per-view 
Um, we'll also then go on to do a match-by-match breakdown of how we think the, the show ran. Uh, we'll give some general thoughts as well on, on, on how we feel that the, the product um, was presented um, and any other thoughts that come up uh, along the way. So um, let's kick off with the results. Over to you, Bob. We will start with the alternate bouts. These didn't actually air on the show themselves, but the alternate bouts are essentially so that if uh, if they're in the event of a draw in one of the main tournament matches, uh, then uh, we could put one of the alternates in later on. Uh, Joel Sutton defeated Geza Kalman by TKO. Onassis Paraguay defeated Francesco Maturi by submission. Scott Bessac defeated David Hood also by submission. We then move on to the quarterfinals of the tournament. We are on pay-per-view. Uh, Paul Varlians defeated Jerry Harris by submission. They're all submission, actually, unless I, I say otherwise. Uh, Mark Hall defeated Harold Howard. Remco Pardul defeated Brian Parker. Uh, Marco Huha defeated Larry Curitan. On to the semi-finals. Paul Varlians defeated Mark Hall. Marco Huha defeated Ramco Pardul by submission in 12 minutes. That was the first match that went longer than about three on the entire night. Uh, we then get to the Superfight Championship final. Kem Shamrock went, and Oleg Takturov went to a draw. The match lasted 30 minutes. They had a three-minute overtime, which also didn't decide a winner, and that was declared a draw. And the final of the tournament, Marco Huha defeated Paul Varlians by TKO in 13 minutes. Thank you, Bob. So um, before we move into our full review of the pay-per-view and uh, our match-by-match breakdown of how, how we think it went, um, chaps, I'd, I'd just like to, to get a bit of a, uh, an intro from you both as to your um, background experience of watching MMA, um, what, you, what you knew about the, the sport going into this. Have you seen any UFC uh, events before? Um, and without going into the, as I say, the match-by-match blowdown, just any general thoughts that you, that you went away with um, from from the show? So, Chris, let's, let's start with you. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a big MMA fan, UFC fan, have been for a few years now. Um, although what I'm a fan of is very different to what we've seen on uh, this pay-per-view. There's a lot of uh, major differences, as we'll see through the show, such as no rounds, no weight classes, uh, no gloves. It's all bare-knuckle. So it's a, it's a very different uh, vibe, a lot more underground and very different to the sort of mainstream-ish sport we uh, know today. Um, uh, yeah, I've been I've only attended one UFC event, but I'm going to uh, UFC Dublin in October, which I'm very much looking forward to. That should be a, a pretty special event. And uh, yeah, just yeah, just sort of a fairly uh, new uh, UFC fan and hadn't really. Uh, delved into anything from this era before so it was uh, interesting to check the show out yeah absolutely i, I agree and i think it's uh, it, it, it's it's amazing i think as we go through the matches we'll, we'll all comment on I, i'm predicting the same things because a number of things i noticed were the same as you that no gloves um when, when the rules were, were given out there was nothing about you know hair pulling and there was hair pulling in some of the fights foot stamping things like that and it was it's real sort of bar brawl um, rough stuff and there, there are very few rules and very few limits um, and, and, and I think that the, the, the product the way it was presented um, was, was actually quite good it was very very you know very American very glossy but the actual the actual action was, was brutal really really brutal um, so I, I echo a lot of your thoughts there Bob how about yourself yeah same as you guys really I mean I, I probably don't watch much modern day stuff as, as you two do but my brother's quite into it so I, I generally get kind of dragged into watching a lot of it um but yeah this this doesn't really 
look like what I think the modern day MMA fan would recognize, um, UFC to be. I mean, just from, you know, that small things like, you know, being able to grab onto the cage to, you know, the lack of rounds, which early on when the fights are going through, you know, a few minutes is fine. Um, but you know, there were, well, we'll get to the super fight match later on and we'll get to that. Um, but I think also just in terms of when you compare modern day UFC to, or MMA even to, to this, it's, it's so, so much you know, less technical in terms of there's so, so much of a smaller emphasis on being able to defend. Um, that there's, you know, you, you watch these early round matches and there's just, you know, it's all out attack in a lot of cases. Guys got on the ground, didn't really know what to do when it came to, you know, when they were on their back. I think only Hoo-Ha was the only guy who was able to um, do a lot with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think in many ways this is probably a lot more fun watching this than watching some of the much more polished modern-day MMA in that, you know, and, and there is the other thing as well, the massive difference um, that didn't massively stand out, but the lack of weight classes, which mm. meant that we yep. got some, you know, I think it was probably Mostark in the, the Varlians Mark Hall um, semi-final. I think oh, Hall, was, yeah. Hall was giving away eight inches at about 100 pounds, which, like, blows your mind when you think of modern-day USC weight classes, which are, like, you know, so so combined and so tight together. Um, but, yeah, the um, uh, as much as my prior experience goes, I did watch USC 1, I think, last year, just for, like... Um, when I got fight pass, just for the sake of doing it, um, and yeah, that was that was probably slightly more stark than this. But no, I, I like how I think raw is probably the best way to describe it. To, to jump back to what we'd, what we perhaps might you know talk about when we're talking about wrestling. This is so like unconventional and untrained. It's it's actually fascinating as much as it is entertaining. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's there's a number of key differences, uh, uh, such as the weight classes and rounds and things like that. But little things I noticed, like the fact that the actual the octagon, the, the walls are lower, like they're, they're they're actually shorter. So in some of the fights, like particularly in the last fight with Valens, that he was able to reach his arm over the top of the cage and and grip onto it to stop. Um, himself being pulled down onto the mat, and that that was that's obviously something they they've worked on, and and, and they've seen these things happen, and and you know they've added the they've added the, the gloves, they've added changed the changed the shape of the actual octagon, and they've added judges, they've added rounds. It's a lot more polished, it's a lot more tidy, it's a lot more clean. Um, but I know what you mean when you say this has got a bit more fun to it because it is literally like watching two blokes in a bar go at it, and there's very little to get in the way of stopping them. Actually, it, it works for me. Um, I'm very much used to the current product. Having, I've been really into UFC for about a year, um, and I'm very used to the current product. But watching this, I, I, I really was sort of urging Big John to get in there and break them up and pull them up more often than he was because there were some fights where they were spending 10 minutes on the ground, literally, without... Uh, without mo- without moving much at all, and um, it just wouldn't it just wouldn't happen today. Um, so it's a, it's very different, but, but you know the, the the point of what we're doing is to to cover it for the time that that, that this aired. So um, thanks, thanks boys. Let's 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 crack on with the with the first match. Um, so the first fight of the night uh, was um, again the alternate bouts weren't aired. So the first fight was Paul Valens uh, versus Jerry Harris, um, which resulted in Paul. Um, Valens getting the win. Now, uh, for me, my, my, my first observations here were, um, Jerry Harris is 38 years old. So he was the oldest fighter on the card. 
Uh, Paul Varland. Well, technically, who had we didn't we didn't know his age. I thought that was oh, fantastic. Yeah. We'll get to that <laughs> later on. But who has age is just they, they do the tell on the tape thing with a bit either side talking about your know, height, weight, and who has age is just three question marks. I thought I that's phenomenal. That's that's brilliant. Like research. Could you have asked him, or is that part <laughs> of the mystery? Sorry, Tom. I, th- I thought maybe he was going to be from parts unknown as well. That yeah. might have been making it a bit too theatrical. Yeah, I, and there were a couple of things actually. Just jumping on a slight tangent, I noticed as well that the comments that a couple of times didn't actually seem to know the rules um like i think it was in the shamrock fight they, they told him not to kick and they said oh maybe he shouldn't kick because he's wearing shoes oh is that what it is is that what the rule is and that to me like that's not professional they, they should you've got to clue your commentators up on the rules of the game because otherwise if they don't know what's going on how are the people watching going to know but uh anyway that that was that was that was my first observation from from that match and, and paul paul varland's uh, a massive guy Absolute beast, and there was a 40 pound weight difference in this one, I think. Um, and Varland, I mean, he just absolutely dominated. So it, I, it, it was a quick fight, um, a, a good intro fight, I'd say, actually, because it really set the tone for the rest of the rest of the show. Um, and it was br- brutal. Varland's just with those those punches and elbows when 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 he was on on the mount, um, really yeah, really nasty stuff. And Harris obviously tapped. So. Uh, Bob, what did you what did you make of the first fight? Any any immediate thoughts, takeaways? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know once once Violin's got kind of the action down to the ground after kind of you know going up on him in, in, by the cage. Um, yeah, again, one it's it's yeah, I mean he's he's 13 years younger, which is which is something else for a start. And again, one thing when we you you know you, you don't get that kind of age difference that regularly these days um but the size difference as well and like harris was doing okay and what one kind of i think what one story throughout the night is just guys not being able to do anything on the ground um and harris was kind of lying on his back like trying to defend and then Varlians just hits him with an elbow to the back of the head and that's the moment where um harris just turns onto his chest and that point you went yeah he's done like that, that wasn't, cause they said, one of the commentators goes, what did he turn onto his chest for? I'm like, yeah, he, he's cowering up into the fetal position here. Like that's, that's what he was doing. Um, but yeah, as you say, very short. Um, and, and Valian's using the, the, the size advantage as he did for the first two fights to his advantage. Yeah, absolutely. How about Chris? What, Chris, what did you make of this? Yeah, it was, it was just that there's an absolute sort of slugfest really, like two huge men, both of them six foot eight. Um, what I took from it is you both mentioned that uh, Harris they like seem to be completely incapable of doing anything on the ground, but just before they lock up for the first time, uh, the commentators mentioned that in Harris's discipline they don't actually punch to the face, so they wondered how he'd cope with the standing game, and then he got took to the floor and they said, oh, he has absolutely no experience. So I was wondering, what did he really, <laughs> what, 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 what did he specialise in? It was. It was well, it was karate, much. I think, wasn't it? That's what they said. It was it was karate. But again, for the two things you've mentioned, karate doesn't really um, assist you if that's all you've got in your, no. your arsenal. And he, yeah, he, he had a forty pound disadvantage, as you previously mentioned. It was just as, uh, as sort of as close to a squash as you could possibly get within the MMA. I think it was. Um, he he did okay briefly, but I mean, it was over in about a minute. And in sort of modern day product it's not often you see someone uh tap out from like punches and elbows and uh you didn't actually see that during the fight but on replay you see he actually tapped out when uh violence threw the uh a couple of uh pretty brutal elbows to the top of the head and uh i mean i understand the tap out they were they were hideous to uh to watch but uh 
Yeah, I think it was a, a quite a fun introduction to what to expect for the rest of the show. Yeah, a, a couple of things. Um, I think firstly on on the tap out thing, I think one thing they'll they'll probably get better at as the years go on is the referees get better at knowing the cues when a fight should end. Um, I think one thing I remember from um, from one of the early from from the UFC one thing I watched last year was you know it just uh, at times it felt like the referees didn't know what they're doing and perhaps they didn't in terms of you know knowing when to cut off a fight. Um, but that was very much the case here a couple of times or we'll see later in the show where guys aren't in submissions but they just tap out until like I'm done and that's where like I think a more modern time a referee would jump in. Um, Tom, uh, well a question for both of you really but one thing I think perhaps another takeaway from the presentation was they perhaps didn't do a great job explaining what the different kind of martial arts meant for each of the guys. You know, they said Valians was a trap fighter and even my UFC knowledge, I've, I've never come across that before. I don't know what that means. And also, you know, right, we know what karate is, but it would be nice if they could either before the fight or as the fight begins, not these early rounds particularly long, um, but would have been just better to get over like the strengths and weaknesses of what that particular discipline was. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely agree. And the only way that you actually knew, uh, or the, the crowd knew, um, what what martial art each guy was trained in was by the the the, the, the ring ladies. Uh, I can't remember the, the, the professional name for them. Um, going around with with uh, the signs, um, with 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 the trap fighting on it and and the karate on it. And that to the audience isn't going to tell them anything. And for me, I think it's one thing to sort of bewilder your audience. Um, it's another to um, bewilder uh, the audience at home, but also the fights themselves, they have to work. I think, I think you have to have the right balance. And the whole point of this is that it's mixed martial arts. So I think that one of my, my key takeaways here was, as you said, Bob, too many of them can't fight on the ground. Um, too many of them were defensive. And there was one fight, we're going to touch on the super fight later, where there were two guys that were completely defensive, and that's why the match went on for as long as it did. And they just, it, it just felt a bit a bit mismatched. Um, I think to, to get the right class and the right the right training of fighter against the, you know, the other fighter, you, you've instantly got that, that good chemistry for the fight to work. And I think it lacked in a number of these. But, um, yeah, Chris, what, what, what do you think? Well, yeah, they definitely needed sort of even when they did the sort of tail of the tape if they just had another screen and it was like this is their discipline and then just sort of three swift bullet points about what that discipline sort of mainly entails so grappling or striking just or and then uh yeah just something like that just really simple would have taken about five seconds before every fight and given the viewer far more uh sort of made you far more aware of what was going to happen and uh, where this where the fight you're about to witness was going to go that would have been something uh that would definitely enhance the the, the show for me um but and i guess it's something they get onto in in years to come but i, I mean i I've, i don't know i there's something bringing it uh, back there's something i just don't like about the bare knuckle aspect and i know it's because it's like ultimate fighting and but i just you see it in later fights but it's just like one punch and then their face looks like they've been hammered for like 30 minutes in like and it's it's, it's so brutal and I'm, I'm not sure it's for me Chris, yeah. what, what is trap fighting do we know i i don't know i have no I idea I don't either. No, it was, okay. a new, it was a new one on me, so it's worth 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 us looking up. I think. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we'll we'll take a break here, and uh, when we come back, I, I, I will have that answer. 
Right, according to MMAfighting.com, uh, Valian's martial arts background was listed as trap fighting, described as the art of baiting your opponent and then trapping them. It could be more reliably explained as the art of clinch fighting. While I don't doubt that Valian's had some martial arts training beyond his wrestling career, trap fighting sounds like something UFC made up to give him more legitimacy. Tom. And there you go. So, um, now that we know that UFC is fictionalizing their, their, their fighters' backstories, that, that, that's interesting. So, moving on to the next fight. Um, the next fight was uh, Mark Hall versus Harold Howard, um, which ended in a win for Mark Hall after 1 minute 41. Um, another quick fight. Um, Bob, have you got a quick quick summary of the fight there? Yeah, very quick, uh, kind of like uh, wrestling 20 years ago style, but very short. Uh, Howard kind of jumps out the box and starts kind of shuffling his feet and kind of pushes uh, Hall back into the corner. Does some kicks, he gets taken to the ground. Uh, Howard gets turned onto his back. Um, the match lasts for, uh, what was, how long was the last match, Tom? Did we get that? Um, this was one one minute uh, one minute forty one seconds as well. Quite a bit longer than that, but yeah, basically um, Hall just got on top of him, started punching, and then and the match ended. Howard just looked at the referee, did the wrestling style X sign towards him, and then uh, John McCarthy like bailed it up. Um, but yeah, so um, <laughs> Hall wins in one forty. Yeah, I thought that was a, that was a weird ending actually, because um, the, the whole point of uh, of UFC for me is he's supposed to tap. But um, I guess it's a universal language. If you throw up the X, um, the, the ref knows what to do. So, um, yeah, I, again, so this, this fight was, uh, I think Mark Hall's got the Taekwondo background and Harold Howard's got the Jiu-Jitsu and Karate background. So it was a bit more of a, a fair mix, I think, in terms of their background for, for, for going into this one. Again, though, they're, they're, I've got it you know, noted there was a 50-pound weight difference in this one, which is even bigger than the first. Um, and that's, that's huge. Although it should be said that Mark Hall, the smaller guy, won the match. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it, it makes for a sort of, um, um, I don't know, it, 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 it doesn't work for me in terms of the, you don't get the same quality of fighting for me when you have guys of different sizes. And although you're right, Bob, it can sometimes result in the smaller guy getting the win because he's got the speed and he's got the agility and he, he might have just a, a different technical background. Um, I would prefer it to be more closely uh, closely aligned in terms of weight classes. But um, the, the crowd seemed to, seemed to really enjoy this match, actually. I, I thought they really got into it. Um, and uh, oh, Howard, got, his face was absolutely pouring with blood. Um, and this was quite, quite I get it was quick, but it was quite brutal. There was hair pulling, there were head butts. Um, yeah, and I thought that Hall um, was actually impressed me quite a bit. I, di- I didn't see it coming from him, especially given the size difference. So... Um, going out of this one, I thought he may be the the underdog to uh, to maybe put a, put, a, put a few quid behind on this one. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was another good fight. I thought. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I, well, the fifty pound weight uh, difference. I mean, it looked like more. Hall looked so much smaller than Howard. Um, he looked a lot smaller than one ninety rather than uh, Howard looking smaller than two forty. Uh, but he it was he was like he was just a good. He was more rounded, a better technical fighter. The way he sort of rolled out of the uh, takedown attempt from Howard quite early on in the fight. And I mean, when the, the guy's got 50 pounds on you and takes you down and you're able to just sort of roll with it and end up in a dominant position, that's a real example of sort of technical prowess for me and something he clearly had over his opponent. Um, and also on the sort of hair pulling, while it is legal, the sort of grabbing the mullet, in this fight, it was effective, definitely effective, but it's not very ultimate fighting. 
Like, I, like, I get... Well, to be fair, this... neither is having a mullet, whether it's 1995 <laughs> or 2015. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. But there's, there was something about it in that this is so sort of barbaric and very brutal and no rules, I get that, but hair-pulling sort of, while legal because there's no rules, also sort of undermines the sort of almost macho-ness of it. Uh, I don't know, it took away from... Uh, what was otherwise a very uh, surprising but convincing victory for Mark Hall for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree because we, you know, we, we also talk about the wrestling twenty years ago show, uh, show that we do. But when when you talk about um, the way that some of the the ladies and the the women in, in wrestling fight, there's a lot of hair pulling that goes on, and that was my immediate comparison, being from a pro wrestling background. Um, so I I agree with you on that one, Chris. But uh, hey, it's legal, so um, he can do whatever he likes. It's pretty shit mullet as well. I mean, we talk about hair pulling, but it was like about three inches dangling off the back of the neck. <laughs> it wasn't a lot. A mullet's a mullet, mate. Well, that's so true. you know. You know, who are we to judge on its length? Um, so, okay, okay, so moving on to the next, uh, the next fight, um, which was Remco Pardul, uh, versus Ryan Parker. Um, Pardul picks up the win via submission through a lapel choke. Uh, this one lasted just over three minutes. Um, and Bob, have you, have you got some points from the match to go through with us? Yes, uh, the, the main thing you will, um, you, you'll notice as an issue when you watch this is they're both wearing judo whites or as, uh, or as we call it, MMA geese. Um, Pardul, uh, gets Parker in kind of a headlock takedown, which is not the closest thing we get to wrestling all night, but pretty close. Um, strikes to the back of the head while on the headlock. Um, Parker, the contractor said, has no ground experience, which is like, yeah, this is a point. Um, so basically Pardul gets it from a headlock into more kind of a, a traditional kind of on top guard. Lots of booing because th- this match was, was certainly longer than the first two. Uh, and in the end, Pardul kind of gets an over under choke, uh, kind of one, one arm under Parker's neck and the other one over the top and Parker taps out. Probably the most traditional tap of the night, I would say. Um, and yeah, I, I thought, uh, excellent work from Pardul uh, from the transition from the headlock striking with the left arm um, to kind of getting into the more traditional guard and getting into the choke. I mean, once he got it onto the ground, it was Pardul all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Pardul, with, once he'd got that takedown in and was throwing in the punches, um, Parker had absolutely nowhere to go. Um, and yeah, the crowd, the crowd got on this one and I thought it was a bit unfair uh, considering it only lasted three minutes. And I think perhaps they'd been treated to a, you know, a pretty, pretty high tempo, uh, aggressive fight before they expected the same again. But I, th- I, I thought it was slow, but I thought it was methodical and you could really see, um, what Pardul's game plan was in, in this one. And as you say, that choke, there, there, there was absolutely no way out of that. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily have, have a problem with it. Chris, thoughts? Um, yeah, well, my thoughts heading into it, I've not heard of either of these two fighters before. And uh, both wearing geese, as Bob said. And uh, Pardul has a sponsor on the back. So I was like, oh, this guy's clearly sort of like more legitimate MMA fighter than sort of one of the guys who's just rocked up for a fight. So it didn't surprise me to see him win. I was like, oh, he's clearly a contender within this tournament uh, just from the fact he had a sponsor on his back. And uh, but yeah, he... Uh, he sort of, he never looked in trouble. He executed a nice judo throw and, and as soon as he, he, as soon as he did and as soon as he had it to the ground, it was, a, uh, it was, um, well, that was it basically, even though it went on for a few more minutes. So I thought maybe the crowd booing it was just purely because that it, it was only three minutes, but it did feel like a long time where they were just sort of laying there. But I think. I was going to say they're going to have some fun later on as well, yeah. as we'll find <laughs> out. Only three minutes. Um, a question for both of you actually. Sorry to cut you off, Chris. Um, 
in terms of the the ghee crisp, I, mean, well, I know there's a, a significance of that in you know more traditional kind of Japanese martial arts, uh, sort of Asian martial arts, really. Um, but it's not. We're talking about ultimate fighting, and also you know the the, the geese, I think go away fairly quickly. But it's not the toughest look when it looks like to your average Joe. Why is he fighting in a dressing gown? No, uh, I. Sorry, you go, Tom. You go. No, I mean, I, I, I've trained, I've trained uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I, I wore a gi, and it's just, it's part of the tradition. Um, I don't know, Bob. I feel like you just spat on the entire BJJ tradition. So. Maybe I just did, but it, it, in this one it looked all right. But in the in the semi-final where we've got Hall not wearing a gi against uh, Pardul wearing a gi or whoever Pardul faced. It looked a bit odd, and it kind of like, okay, tradition, fair enough, and perhaps dressing gown is a bit disrespectful, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> to, to, to someone who's less appreciative of the tradition of martial arts, they might think that. Yeah, no, I can see, I can see what you're saying, but I don't. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of just uh, the, the idea of actually fighting with it on, it kind of seems restrictive, and as we saw with the Hall fight, it kind of seems like a weapon that can be used against you, which just seems a little bit unnecessary. Go on, Tom. Yeah, I agree, and I think that the whole point of when, you, uh, when you're fighting someone who is wearing a gi, um, you have it to use as a weapon as much as you ha- as they, as they do. Um, and I think one, you know, one fighter wearing it and one doesn't, uh, I agree with you. That's, that isn't, that should not happen. And that's where the MMA part of it really needs to be tidied up for me. Um, uh, and, uh, sorry, Chris, go on. So, sorry, just to jump in, I'd go even further. And as you said, there's a fight later on with one guy wearing a gi and the other not. I'd go even further. And in the first fight, um, violence wearing a, uh, sort of wrestling singlet. I know it's his background, but I, I do think there's a, I'd like to see sort of a uniformity in what the fighters wear in the same way there is in most sports. Like, obviously, professional wrestling is very different to the UFC. And if, I mean, in the tagline, before we even got to uh, one of the fights, uh, I think the, uh, the main commentator, uh, Bruce Beck, he said, if it's not in the octagon, it's not real. And if they're looking to amp up that sort of this is real and this is sort of where real fighting takes place and this is fighting in its purest and whatnot. I think you just get everyone in a pair of shorts. Just like, just that's it. If you're fighting in the UFC, you're all going to wear, it doesn't have to be a particular color. Just everyone's going to wear the same sort of gear and that would be the way to go. Chris, how, how long before, do, do you know how long before it became a standard in UFC? Because I remember my takeaway from watching UFC 1 was they're all wearing completely different things. And to a degree, this was true here. And also, we, 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 we fast forward to modern times. Not only are they all dressed a lot more similarly, they're also the, the whole thing with Reebok and them kind of completely, you talk about standardization, we're, we're getting there. Um, but how, do you know how much longer there's this kind of real odd kind of randomness to what guys are wearing? No, I don't at all. And I guess it's something that comes in with sort of the natural evolution of the company away from sort of this is a fighter who is a wrestler or this is a fighter who does jiu-jitsu and as the promotion grows and as the sport grows fighters do everything everyone can strike everyone can wrestle everyone so there's no need to wear a gi because you're trained in everything and things like that I, 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 I have no idea about sort of the actual history to it and the actual timeline but I, I would assume it just sort of comes naturally as sort of the fighters develop into more well-rounded fighters. Then there's a move away from sort of paying respect to the single discipline. Yeah, I would I would absolutely concur on that. I think it's, it's one thing showing tradition, but it's another thing making it a fair fight. Um, and that's a, that's a balance that they really need to strike, I think. So just on, boys, one one other thing I wanted to touch on here because I, I I noticed it in this match. Um, just a question for you both. 
um, Big John McCarthy was the, the referee for every fight on the night. And again, uh, looking at modern day UFC, they um, have a different ref. Uh, or at least, at least they have alternate alternate refs in every fight. What did you guys make of of, of Big John? Uh, do you think he did a good job? Do you, do you think it's it's a good idea having the same guy refereeing every match? Do, do you think um, you'd like to see things done differently? What are your thoughts, Bob? You first. Um, John McCarthy's a one day UFC ref, correct? Yes, he is. Yeah, I, I, I get the feeling he might look back at this and, 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 and not, you know, feel like embarrassed in the sense that this was UFC before kind of UFC became this kind of phenomenon and before like things became what we know now today as standards really became standardized. Um, but there were a few times I thought, you know, we'll get to it in the super fight where it's like, you gotta get, you know, 10 minutes before he got them up. It's like, you gotta get them up more quickly than that. And, you know, again, more difficult when there's no rounds in that there's, there's less opportunity for, for these things to naturally kind of wear down. But I thought he was fine. You know, I mean, it's, I'm actually quite surprised, you know, having seen him, as I say, I, I asked the question, but I have seen him a few times and the name rings a bell. But I was quite surprised that of all the things that were different, like the refereeing was by and large was was quite recognizable to what we'd see now okay there is the thing as i say with the with, with pulling them apart if they're on the ground there is also the thing with just the rule changes and things like that and there is also the thing with um where a fighter is clearly you know in, in a bad way and one thing that becomes a lot more standardized as the years go on is referees one being able to get those cues and two kind of getting in there a lot more quickly um but i thought he was fine you know we've got the let's get it on thing and we we, yeah, we the, the the common three throughout the night was come on guys let's work as, as we get through into the evening um but no i thought he was fine it was to say of all the things that were different between now and then i'll give john mccarthy a lot of kudos in 95 it was that actually i thought he did very well no, yeah. I, sorry, sorry Chris, <laughs> I, I, I'd have to echo that. I agree entirely. And sort of, as the sort of sport still finding its feet, especially within an, an American market, um, having sort of no rules and whatnot, um, having one ref for an entire pay per view, it means there's going to be consistency throughout the entire show, and that it avoids sort of as much confusion, like with the kicks and things like that with Shamrock. I'm not sure if there were any other fighters wearing shoes on the night, but I assume if there had been, he would have give them a warning for throwing a kick in the exact same way he did Sham- Shamrock because that w- was how he was refereeing the occasion. So for him to referee an entire pay-per-view and an entire tournament, it meant that every every fight within the tournament was going to have uh, sort of the same rules within the world of no rules and w- fights were going to be stood up at the same time and things like that. I, and I, I quite enjoyed that aspect of it. I'm guessing also there's the fact that, you know, uh, because, uh, as we spoke about earlier, because a lot of these fighters are so bad defensively and because a lot of the fights therefore end up being quite short, actually refereeing a full tournament like this probably wasn't actually that much time in the octagon compared to octagon. I'm going to have to work out how I'm going to pronounce that as these go on. Octagon, octagon, we'll work that out. As, as, you know, in terms of the time in it, you know, the quarterfinals lasted about 10 minutes. Now you fast forward to, you know, more recent times where you've got much more well-rounded fighters that can defend and that can, can fight for a lot longer. You talk about a referee refereeing four fights and you're thinking, okay, he could be out there for an hour. You know, if all four fights go the distance and also you've got, you've got main events that go long. Um, so yeah I think there's perhaps there's a thing to be said for just as fighters get better and the expectations matches become longer um, there might be a thought well we probably need more rest just so the one guy isn't out there you know 
busting his ass all night. Um, but no, as Chris said, I think that there is also the advantage that having one ref brings the consistency and it also reduces the likelihood there's going to be any controversy. Not that I get the feeling the crowd is going to be smart enough on, on MMA at this stage to, to notice controversies they might be in future years. Um, but having yeah. one referee makes that a lot more consistent. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think that because we, we mentioned, you touched earlier upon the rules being uh, not clearly defined at the start or during or even after any of the fights. I think you're right, Bob. I don't think anybody's been picking, picking holes in, uh, in Big John's refereeing decisions. And also, they're not going to do it to his face because the guy is huge. <laughs> So uh, let's move on to, to the next fight, which is the last of the quarterfinals. Uh, and this was uh, Marco Ruas, or as I think it's pronounced, Uas. Hoo-ha, so, I thought it was. Oh, hoo-ha. Yeah. Got, got you all in check. Okay. Right. Uh, it might be so, like Rua, but it's, it, it's, it's two very definite noises. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's go with Uar um, to, to upset all the farmers. It's so, from the West Country. I was going to say. Yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, M- Marco, as we'll refer to him, uh, was up against Larry Curtin and, uh, this, this was it again, just around about the three and a half minute mark. Um, and Marco came out on top through submission from the, the heel hook. Um, I must say here, and I, I make no apologies for this. I, I was hugely impressed throughout the night with, uh, Marco Hoo-Ha's, uh, overall game, his technique, uh, his endurance, his athleticism, his clear, uh, skill, um, in, in his Mai Tai uh, the, uh, and boxing that he brings to his game. Um, and I, I thought this was, this was a, a really solid display of that. Um, Bob, have you got some, some sort of short blow-by-blow uh, blow results for us, how it went down? Yeah, match notes. Uh, yeah, as you say, uh, Hoo-Ha was a Brazilian uh, Muay Thai, and then we had Larry Kirshen, who was a uh, kickboxer. Uh, Hoo-Ha, has, I think he was in the, the, the finale as well, was, was conceding height. Uh, and as we did allude to earlier, they did have on the graphic, age was just two question marks. He's, he was, he's now 54, he was back then 34 years old. Um, uh, probably the moment of the night, I think, was when... Uh, Hoo-Ha's got um, Curtin in a uh, kind of choke hold and he just picks him up and just slams him. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was awesome. That, that popped the crowd. Um, they kind of got into a kind of ground hole, which Curtin sp- uh, span out of. Um, there was some... So he kind of got on top. There was some headbutts. He managed to get... Um, Curtin got into a standing position with Hoo-Ha on the ground, uh, but Hoo-Ha managed to grab him in the leg lock, then did a brilliant kind of kick to the face, and then he kind of rolled it over into kind of an ankle submission, uh, which uh, Curtin lasted about three or four seconds in before tapping out. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, over to you. How, what, were you as impressed with uh, Marco as I was? Did you, were, you, were you thinking, as I was, it's going to take a lot to beat this guy? Uh, what were your general thoughts on him and, and the fight overall? Well, in my notes, the first thing I sort of, I know that Pardue in the last fight was wearing a gi, so it's hard to tell, but just from this guy's sort of, he was very lean, he was athletic, he was the first one who you looked at and thought, like, this is sort of the sort of beginnings of that breed of actual, like, athlete, UFC, MMA fighter that we've become accustomed to in the sport. He was the first one who had that look about him. He looked lean, and uh, he had the technical skills to back it up. It was pretty frantic, and uh, that, as Bob said, that takedown where he he was in sort of a tight-looking guillotine, and he just picked up Curitan and slammed him. And, I mean, he gave away £40 to him. So it's a £40 disadvantage. And he just slammed him. It was very, very impressive. But uh, what I took away from it, the commentary sort of 
were bigging up again that saying that Curitan has absolutely no ground experience, no ground game. And then he pulled off a really, really nice reversal on the ground to Ruha. And I think that sort of shocked Ruha, Ruha, Ruha a bit. And, uh, but it was eventually that lack of ground game that caught up with Curitan as a uh, sort of Ruha sort of bided his time and, uh, yeah, he he did a professional job and he had the look and feel of a professional MMA artist rather than a sort of fighter of a inner discipline. He he had that feel about him. He really did impress me. Yeah, to echo what you guys are saying on Uha, I mean, you know, he he was the only guy all might that looked remotely comfortable with with his back to the ground. Um and you know, as you say, the size difference here, um, and particularly in, in the final as well. Uh, we'll come to the final, I suppose, later on. Um, but yeah, really impressed by him. Um, there's a headbutt in the bit. In the Headbutts are, are, are illegal now, aren't they, Chris? They are now, yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few then. Yeah, I, w- I wonder when that'll uh, that'll get kicked. Um, but yeah, no, massively impressed by Huha. Um, and and probably the, the the best match of the quarterfinals. Tom, is that fair? Oh, I would absolutely agree with you. I think I think every match that Huha was in was was the the, the best of its kind, um, including the semis. But we'll, we'll we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, yeah, and as as you say, Bob, it, for, for a guy that can fight that well on his back, you, you know it, it's going to be beat hard hard to beat him uh, when he's when he's on top. So. Um, Marco set very much set the pace in, in this fight for me, um, and I was very much looking forward to, to seeing him in the semis. So, uh, did you did you boys know? I've just read this by going on his on his Wikipedia page that Paul Valance was in uh, ECW in 1996. No, was he? I can't believe I just went onto his page just because I, I wrote down that someone was called the Polar Bear. And I was trying to work out who it was if it was him yeah. or um, uh, the guy he's fighting about. But it says in his description, um, UFC from 95 to 96 and ECW in 1996. And if you go uh, in on June 22nd, 96, at ECW... But be aware, start, Tom, this is now making the edit, but carry on. Oh, sorry. No, no, carry on. I'm just saying, like, be, like, we'll, we'll leave this bit in, so just carry on talking, but but just... Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so on, on June 22nd, 1996, at ECW's Hardcore Heaven event, uh, Paul Valens faced and was choked out by EC star, ECW star Taz in what was promoted as a shoot fight. Despite being promoted as a legitimate shoot fight, Valens agreed to lose via submission, so he agreed to do the job. Um, in her book, Missy Hyatt claims that Valens agreed to lose if she... <laughs> I've got to read this as it's put. I'm sorry, this is on Wikipedia. Um, Missy Hyatt claims that Valens agreed to lose if she gave him a blowjob afterwards. But Hyatt refused, saying that she did not blow jobbers. <laughs> uh, after this, uh, violence supposedly became irrational and tore up the locker room. So that is a story that well, I've well, never well, heard. Spoiler alert for anyone following the ECW action over on the uh, <laughs> over on the wrestling side of things. But yeah, no, I'm gonna have to act surprised when he comes up on the show next year. Yeah, sp- <laughs> spoiler alert: Missy Hyatt doesn't blow jobbers. Well. That 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 pun sounds far too good to be true. I know, I know. That, that I, sounds I think, like I think, Hay- I think Heyman's written that one and sub- submitted it to. Wikipedia. I was going to say, like, I, I don't necessarily have too much umbrage with the wider story, but that sounds like either something somebody's made up as they put it into Wikipedia, or something somebody in ECW came up with after the event. But that that maybe sounds good to be true. But as I said, we are live, Tom, so uh, we'll go crack back on with the show. Yeah, let's crack back on. Okay, so we're moving into the semi-finals now. Uh, the first of which features the man we were just discussing, Paul Valens, uh, against Mark Hall. 
Um, and this one uh, lasted, again, just over a minute. Um, and Valens got the win via submission with a key lock. Uh, Bob, obviously it was only a minute long. What have you got in terms of notes of the fight? Well, the, the main the main takeaway from the fight was that and there, there may not be a bigger mismatch in, in, in MMA. I cannot think there are many. Uh, Mark Hall was eight inches smaller. He was six foot and Valens was six foot eight. 110 pounds lighter. Um, so the match start off, uh, off, Hall hits a big kind of jumping right, because uh, you, you kind of have to, to get up to his face, uh, which pops the crowd. Uh, Valians goes for a headlock takedown, uh, hits some elbows on the ground, puts him in a submission, and taps him out, and it, as you alluded to, kind of, um, yeah, that, that was really it. Quite long, Tom. Yeah, no, there wasn't a lot else to it, was there? Um, I, I found the, the weight class difference to be ludicrous, to be perfectly honest, um, but, Let's let's put it in, into context. Context. This was the semi. So if Mark Hall wasn't uh, of the caliber to fight a guy that size and a guy of that with that power, etc., he wouldn't have made it to the semi. So I guess that's the uh, what UFC are going for here with the mixed martial arts guys of different sizes, different weight classes. Anyone can fight anyone, and also anyone can win. But Valiant's basically just sat on him. Yeah, yeah, that's what you would do if you were violence in this fight, really, isn't it? Let's be honest. You just wouldn't let him up, and you would do what he did, elbow him so hard in the head that um, he hasn't got any power to, to, to get out of a, a choke once you put it in. Um, but, yeah, there was not a lot else to it, was there? Chris, thoughts? No, I took two things away from this. Um, well, aside from the obvious mismatch, Mark Hall did a uh, slightly offensive salute to the crowd before. Did either of you notice that? When uh, no, Ma- no. Michael Buffer, it was um, just... It wouldn't have gone down well in Germany. It was a. Uh, it was rather strange when Michael Buffer introduced him. He, he turned to the crowd and, uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine he intended it to look well it, like what it did, but uh, it certainly looked that way. And the other thing was uh, during the fight, uh, uh, one of the commentary team say uh, when Valens has a uh, headlock on, he says he could literally pull Hall's head off here, and I believed it. It is like it, it looks. It was locked in tight, and he was just sitting on him all the way there. And I just felt like if he really wanted to, he probably could. And uh, but I thought uh, in defeat, Hall uh, did everything he could, and he still came off as uh, one of the more sort of legit fighters of the night. And uh, he was just unfortunate to be thrown in with the random draw to meet Valens in the semi-finals because if he'd met someone else, there was every he had every chance of making it to the final. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, agreed. And I, I, one other just small point that I, I, won't, I won't dwell on this for too long, but another thing that I picked up on in terms of the presentation of the event here, um, something that, that they obviously did back in, in, in the uh, early days of UFC, but they stopped um, once they got better lighting, I'm guessing, was the revolving spotlights that went all over the octagon during the fight, and it never stopped. And I was thinking, if I'm a fighter in there, especially if you're on your back um, and you've got full guard on and you're, and you're trying to get a clinch in, and all you can do is constantly have the spotlight being drawn across your face. So you're having to squint. They either put them in sunglasses or they keep the spotlight still during the fight. That was just something I picked up on. Uh, just a, a little minor gripe of my own. OK, so, Bob, have you got have you got any thoughts on the fight? I know you went through the results quickly, but is there anything you want to add before we move no, on? No, no, no massive differences. Just to echo what, what Chris said about Hall, I, I get, you know, I would have been very... I'm not saying I think who I would have beat him, um, but I think him against who I might have been, you know, the best of the rest of the matches, you know, potential matchups. Hall, you know, 
was just massively outsized here. I mean, he, he did the kind of the classic small man, big man wrestler thing, you know, kind of go up against the guys much bigger, run at him, jump with a punch, kind of back off a bit. But, you know, as we know, this isn't wrestling and the ball, the big guy's just going to sit on you. Um, and when he did, he, he had no hope. But no, I, I think of all the guys who lost, he probably looked the most impressive tonight. Yeah, agreed. Okay. So moving on to the second semi final. Uh, and we've got our man Marco Hua. Um, up against Remco Pardul. Um, this fight went for uh, 12 and a half minutes, um, and Hua got the win via submission um, in, a, in a very peculiar manner, um, which I w- will touch on um, uh, p- p- perhaps once we, once we discuss the actual um, the, the flow of the fight and the fact that it was the first decent length fight that we had a, a, of the night. And in my opinion, it was actually the match of the night. It was the one that I enjoyed most. Um, but Bob, have you got some uh, some some notes to to run us through in terms? Of I do have fight? some notes, so they perhaps don't sound as extensive as a, a twelve match note, Tom uh, minute match should do compared to the rest of them. But I'll, I'll run through what I've got. Uh, Pardul locks in a choke on Ruar up against the cage. Uh, Ruar is still up against the cage. He was for a number of minutes, but starts doing these kind of foot stomps, which I, I thought was quite you know, innovative. Uh, it goes to the ground. Ruar manages to turn it over and then locks in a leg lock. Uh, Ruar gets in on open guard, lands a left hand then gets into a side guard and at one point he reaches in under the gi and then yeah as you say at one point and as I say this, there's a lot more happened in this match these are the notes I've got um, Pardul just taps out while just in the guard um, there was no submission he wasn't on a, uh, under a massive kind of onslaught of attacks I just think he'd been down there for a number of minutes by that point and just thought Christ, you know, because this, this is the thing. In, in, in modern-day MMA, if you're in a bad position, you just stay in a bad position for a few minutes, let the round end, and then, you know, you go again. Because this was, and one thing that um, I'll hopefully, when I record it, cover in, in our intro notes, um, these these matches were 20-minute time limits. It was just one round. They were about, you know, as you said, it lasted about 12 minutes. I think Pardul just went, yeah, I ain't getting out of this. I'm just tapping out. That That was his plan. Yeah, and I think it was a real. Uh, I think Pardul had a game plan, uh, cinching in. You know that that when he when he clinched in the the, net, the chokehold and pinned him to the cage, you could see what he was trying to do. He wasn't. He just didn't want him to move. Um, and the crowd were getting on the, their back again, uh, and there was a lot of booing, and there was a lot of toe stamping going. And that's where this started in this fight, which I thought was really interesting. It was kind of again. Again, we talked about the hair pulling being a bit sort of um, theatrical and a bit silly. I, I in a way I quite liked that foot stamping because. What are you going to do if someone's trying to, uh, if, if all you can do to get to someone is stamp on their toes, you would do that. And that's what these guys are doing. They're doing anything they can to get out of the position or the unfortunate position that they might be in. Um, yeah. I, I think, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I think one thing it's important probably to point out is that we were talking about weight differences was that Hoo-Ha was 55 pounds lighter than Pardul, which wasn't, yeah, obviously it was, was half the difference of the previous fight, but certainly wasn't as noticeable as the other one as well. But I think the part of the reason we saw the foot stomps was that, um, Pardul had Hoo-Ha up against the cage. Because there was such a big weight difference, Hoo-Ha couldn't really get out of it. Whereas if you were in a much more Monday fight with a, a much more evenly matched guy, you perhaps would have better ways of being able to counter that hole. So he was just kind of trapped in the corner, and the only thing he could do for offence, given that he was literally in a bear hole, was just stamp on Pardul's toes. Um, so I think that was probably what caused that, and I don't know, I don't recall whether Pardul did it a lot or not, but as you say, it, at this stage in USC, you can hold, you can grab onto the cage to, to, to help with leverage. Um, so I think that perhaps gives a bit more context to, to the footstops. Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Chris, what are your thoughts on this one? 
Um, I enjoyed this fight a lot, and it's fights like this which would be why uh, sort of I'm a fan of sort of modern day UFC. In that, there, there, although there are a lot of aspects, as we say, like the, the holding onto the cage and the foot stomping, and even the weight difference, and even uh, Pardo wearing his gi and things like that. There's loads of differences, but in terms of the uh, technique of both men, this was the most comparable to what we see today. Um, I did the crowd, as you both mentioned, the crowd got on the uh, the back a little bit about six minutes in, and I think five minutes of the fight was Ruha up against the the cage, up against the oct- octagon, and I think a large part of that was just because the way this whole sort of uh, the brand of UFC then and the way it was marketed and presented was this sort of like brutal knockout submission blood slugfest, and I think maybe that's what the crowd were there to see. So there was a, a, a lack of appreciation for sort of the more technical aspects of fighting and the transitions and things like that. And that lack of appreciation or lack of understanding, because it's not like an ignorance thing. It's just it it, it wasn't it was they weren't aware of it necessarily because their these, expectations were different, weren't they? Yeah. So they were expecting sort of big knockouts, big punches and things like that. And when these two men are grappling and clinching and transitioning and things like that, it's not what they're there to see. Um, and on the footstool, the other thing that I found funny away from that is the commentator about two minutes in mentioned, oh, he might have to resort to, I'd like to see him resort to some foot stamping here to try and get out of this. And about two minutes later on, Ruha started to, and the commentary team popped for that. They they took a lot of credit for that in terms of uh, the tactical sort of uh, feel to the fight. They they enjoyed that. But I felt it was like a strong strategic battle. And as Bob said, it, I, the ending was very strange, but... In the context of no rounds and things like that, when you when uh, Ruha took uh, full mount, it did make sense for uh, Pardu to tap out in the way he did because he's just going to take a load of punishment and lose by TKO. So like, why not? Like, there was nothing else he could do. He, the fight was lost. He was probably very very tired by this point. Twelve minutes, no no stoppage whatsoever. So the tap out did make sense in the context of UFC twenty years ago, but in the context of UFC today, if you showed that end of a fight to a modern UFC fan, it would look very very strange and come across very very weird, which it did because this is the first time I'm delving into this era. So yeah, and just one thing, just to jump in quickly, um, we, we talk about the crowd, and, and you know, one, one thing I've kind of thought when I you know kind of delved into you know UFC of you know, more modern times is that I think. When, before you've really seen much UFC, it doesn't, doesn't really fit your imagination of what this kind of extreme bar fight type thing would look like. It doesn't really, it's not as explosive, it's not as fast necessarily. When it gets on the ground, it looks a bit odd. Um, but yeah, just to come back to the point about who are being really strong on, you know, on his back, uh, when he managed to flip it over on the ground, the crowd really popped for that. So while, while Chris, you're, you're absolutely right about, you know, the crowd getting a bit kind of bored with the ground action, I think they did so appreciate um, the fact that he was able to get out of that. Yeah, I think a lot. Like, you are right. Yeah, and uh, right. I think that's just more part of maybe the sort of clinch against the cage and that sort of thing being over. And when he was able to get out of it, they were like, "Oh, okay, now we're back to the real fighting and stuff like that," rather than an appreciation of the technique. That was the way I perceived it. But yeah, it, it obviously could be taken in other ways. Okay, thanks, boys. So let's move on to the so-called super fight of the evening, uh, which uh, features Ken Shamrock taking on Oleg Taktarov, um, Ken Shamrock, the reigning super fight champion. Um, now, this this fight went for, as alluded to earlier, the full whack. 
it went for the full 30 minutes, um, and then when the OT, um, which was advertised as five minutes, was reduced to three. Do, do you get the feeling that was something I that went, <laughs> Christ, we're, like, we, we, we advertised overtime, we've got to give it to them, but they did just say, oh, we just found out it's three minutes long. Uh, yeah. To, to be fair, the, uh, they, they ran, I don't know how, because all the fights were short, but they did run over, and a lot of people missed the end of the pay-per-view. They didn't see the full Ruha, uh, the final. So I think uh, I don't know, but apparently that is why it happened. Um, I I did think that like, oh, they called an audible because it's 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 terrible. But uh, apparently that is what happened. Uh, good shout, Chris. Thanks for that. That, that paint, that, that tells us a little bit of information. Uh, I was going to say, Tom, before we go into it, and Chris, uh, have you got any context? I mean, I, I, hopefully I'll cover it in my, my kind of pre-tape when I, when I record it. You got any context around the super fight thing? And, you know, cause Shamrock was kind of the UFC super fight champion carrying a, a belt, essentially. Uh, what, what more can you tell us about that? Well, basically, this was the third, uh, UFC super fight. And, um, previously they'd been based around tournaments and uh so the first ufc super fight was royce gracie and ken shamrock they had their long-awaited rematch and that was a 30 minute and they had the overtime and that was a draw and that was one of the sort of first major disappointments within the ufc and sort of mma that the fact it went to a draw there are huge calls for judges to be introduced and not rounds and keep it as it is but just if you do 30 minutes then you need to have a one round judge to like judges to judge the 30 minutes and that fight would have easily been given 10-9 shamrock but it goes down in the record books as a draw um so that was very disappointing first fight and they still didn't have judges for this and then in the second one um the basic sort of premise of the title that shamrock holds is that the uh that they had to base the tournament. They wanted to evolve to base the tournaments off something rather than just sort of the price, the prize money. So rather than, um, so basically the winner of the previous tournament got to fight for the title. So Ken Shamrock fought the UFC five winner in a super fight and defeated him. So now, uh, he's, I, I don't know if, uh, the UFC six winner was, uh, Tuck, uh, Tuck but, uh, Basically, the premise was that if you win one of the tournaments, you earn yourself a shot of this belt, which is the super fight belt, and that was the belt that was being defended in this, which was the third ever super fight. Yeah, Taktorov defeated uh, Tank Abbott in the uh, final of, of USC 6. Yes, and so then... to, all you had to do to earn a title shot was win the tournament at the previous UFC event, and then you got to fight in the next super fight. So it was just a, another attraction on top of the tournaments that had been sort of standard procedure for the UFC up until this point. Uh, one thing just to, to, to bring up, because it, it, you know, I think they, I don't know whether it was here, I think it was at this point. Um, Tom, we got an interview with Tank Abbott, um, who, you know, we, we will come across, you know, in latter years in, in, in WCW. Um, but he was basically saying, you know, they said, like, what, why didn't you win the previous fight? And he basically healed it up and just went, uh, no, because he had a, why didn't you win the final UFC 6? And he basically went, because the altitude. I'm the best guy around, but I couldn't breathe. Um, Tom, what do you think of that? <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. I, I, I again, I, I just, I just wrote down pure pro wrestling. The, I, I, I actually had forgotten that he did appear in WCW in later years, and I've, I've remembered it now. I thought it was really entertaining. The guy had clear charisma, and it made me think they'll be missing a trick if they don't introduce a bit more of this. Um, going forward, uh, and one thing that, that they do a lot of nowadays in order to sell an event, they could could have done to sell 
events back in these days, I think, to a degree, is the build-up and you have the the weight, the weigh-ins and the uh, you know the, the the press conferences and things like that. And a guy like um, Tank Abbott would would be uh, should be at the forefront of that. And it, it made me laugh, and it was it was the only thing I think really, other than uh, looking at a couple of the people in the crowd, that actually did make me laugh um, for the whole show. So I, I found that to be, I found it quite entertaining. I'd, I'd like to have seen a bit more of it, to be honest. Yeah, because his his appearance was there to hype the sort of I think it was the sort of the next event. It wasn't like UFC eight, but it was called the Ultimate Ultimate, and that was basically right. a, I think that was basically a tournament between sort of the best fighters they'd had so far, bar uh, Royce Gracie himself. So he was there, um, and I think uh, I think there was a everyone else was basically the yeah the best fighters you that they'd had within the organization at this point. It was sort of like the the mega tournament, and they were that was the next show. So that's what he was hyping. So to have sort of that sort of almost pro wrestling style, as you say, uh, promo to hype it is definitely a way to get more eyes onto the product moving forward. If your next event is this sort of mega tournament of the the best fighters you've had in the promotion to date. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point, Chris. And I think we'll touch on that before we before we finish off the show in terms of you know what can UFC do to bring in uh, casual viewers and and also just channel flickers. So if you if you put this on, um, if you don't like cage fighting as a as a concept, you're very unlikely to carry on watching when you're four minutes into a 33 minute match. Um, but catching something like that might make you think, oh, actually, I, I like that guy. Is that I, I, you know, I want to see what he's what he's what he's up to, and I might, I might check out the next event. So I think you know we'll touch on that again later. But I, I think it was an, a, a welcome introduction at this point um, in answer to your question, Bob. So um, moving on then to to the uh, the super fight uh, between Shamrock and Taktarov. Um It went the full whack. It went the full thirty three. Um, a large portion of it was spent on their back. I don't think they, I don't think they officially stood up till about the 13th minute. Um, I, I've got, I've got to be honest. This is one of the worst fights I've seen in my MMA uh, viewing history. Which, which really, I haven't gone back to watch too much old stuff, but I have seen a bit, and I've watched about a year's worth of current day UFC, and it is the worst I've seen. I, I, I don't want to take away from the talent of the guys involved because they're clearly both um, defensive fighters. That was the problem. And I mean, it, it wasn't through a lack of effort. They just, you know, Taktorov was good enough. I mean, I'll run through the thing in a minute, but Taktorov was good enough defensively where he, he could follow and counteract everything Shamrock had to throw at him. And Taktorov equally had no intention of trying to win the fight, I don't think. No, I would absolutely agree with you. And, and you, the, the commentators touched on it towards the end, but saying that he was looking for the draw, but I think he was looking for the draw from the start, to be honest. He never, ever seemed to be on the front foot to the point where you could see him actually really making that, like trying to get that clinch or trying to make that, that get that hold or that choke to actually pull Shamrock in and try and end it. I just felt it was like a resistance thing and he wanted to go. I, I don't, he can't have been thinking that Shamrock didn't have the energy for it because the guy is, is an absolute, he's built you know, like an athlete. He, he's in incredible shape and he, he knows he can go that distance after the Gracie fight. Um, before, so not entirely sure what Tatrov's um, game plan was in this, but you could argue that it worked because he because he didn't lose. But um, if you go into a fight um, wanting to go the distance, not to actually try and win, uh, I think he's in the, I think he's in the wrong the wrong sport. So Bob, have you? I, I know this is a thirty three minute fight, but have you got some? Um... Mer- mercifully, I don't have thirty three minutes worth of notes. Uh, my, oh, my, 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 uh, my notes go very short. Um, 
before the fight started, uh, Chris, I think they said, was it 50 grand, $50,000 to the winner, $25,000 to the loser, or $30,000 each if it was a draw, Chris? Did yeah. I remember that right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And to give some context to sort of how bad this fight was, um, they were training partners and apparently they were like really, really, really unhappy that they had to fight each other. Um, so maybe that sort of, the fact that they took it to the ground and basically just laid there for large parts of the, for the 33 minutes, that perhaps has some context to it. Yeah, it's, not, it's not exactly how you sell a fight, is it? No. You know, th- these two guys hate each other. They can't wait to rip holes out of each other. Actually, these guys are really good pals and they train it day in, day out. They don't really want to do it, but it's 30 grand on the line if they get a draw, so. And, and that was probably part of the problem. So I, I better rattle through the match where we actually do our, our kind of analysis of it. Um, yeah, essentially, um, Shamrock kept taking Taktora to the ground, got in the kind of overhead guard. Um, Taktora was good enough to, to follow all of his attacks and, you know, block them, essentially. Um, six minutes in, I did know he did get a couple of shots in. Um, the referee at the, I think it was a 12 minute mark, picked them up. Um, which the crowd popped big for, and, you know, throughout the fight, you know, John McCarthy keeps saying, come on guys, let's work. I mean, he's saying that all throughout the night. Um, but this, this one by all miles more than any other. Um, there was quite a nice right hand by Shamrock late on, uh, referee, as I say, picked them up, I think four times during the thing. Uh, we then got to three minutes overtime. I think they were a bit knackered by that point as well. I think there's the other thing as well, as much as you might think, well, they're on the ground, that, uh, my, my understanding is, is that being on the ground can take a lot out of you and doing that for half an hour, they were just blowing up and yeah, the, the three minutes of overtime were, were just as boring as the rest of the fight and yeah, ended in a draw. Um, Shamrock, if this was judged, Shamrock would have won it by a mile. Agreed. Um, but, but it wasn't, so he didn't. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think that, that, screams the problem there's a number of problems with this fight for me and the way that they they run it or uh, the lack of ways that they run it they basically just sent them out there gave them 30 minutes and said let's give them a few more to do whatever they like i think i think john mccarthy should have stood them up a lot quicker than he did it took about 15 minutes before he uh, stood them up the first time and it was amazing when he stood him up he let them go and after about 20 seconds they were in the exact same position again yeah each time he stood them up they got in they, they did a, a little bit of standing stuff and then they got into exactly the same ground position every time. Yeah, but that was Taktorov's game plan. You could tell. And he, he knew his safety position on his back, um, stopping Shamrock from doing too much striking game and keeping him, keeping him pinned to, you know, keeping him, um, in the, in the mount position. I, I just, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand the fight. I mean, Shamrock, in all fairness to him, did look like he was trying to push it, trying to, especially towards the end, he was actually trying to make an effort to get those, those, those jabs in. Um, left and right, um, and trying to do something. But the crowd, I mean, this, in terms of UFC, you know, trying to bring people in and trying to keep people entertained, how can they not watch this and go, we've got to do something? And I think, you know, we, we can look forward. This is and was the fight that made them put judges in place. Um, because after the Gracie fight, people were, were, were asking for it. After this fight, people were demanding it. Um, and you can see why. Uh, but Chris, over to you. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I I don't have really too much more to add on the fight itself. It was it was very very dull. Um, it was, uh, so I picked up some points from sort of the commentary team and Don Wilson, who was a uh, world a multi-time world champion uh, kickboxer. He was one of the three men, and uh, he added some like context to sort of proceedings. He's like, I've broken my hands twelve times through my career punching with gloves on, and like stuff like that is what they needed throughout the show to really portray the sort of how brutal this product and how sort of 
real what you're witnessing is that these men are going bare knuckle and although it was largely on the ground that they were in that octagon together for 33 minutes and all of those strikes they landed were without gloves and like to that was what they needed but i also do have some criticism of criticism of the commentary team they they point out as they head into overtime that Takturov looked to be the more tired of the two men but they say it in a very surprised way and i think what you need there is I mean, maybe it's because the lack of knowledge of maybe the sport and things like that, like for the time period. But they don't make the connection that the reason he would be more tired is because he's been carrying Shamrock's weight for 30 minutes. And it's like that that sort of context to bring that to the viewer at home is sort of the next step for the presentation from the commentary side of things for the UFC. So there were pros and cons to be taken from that from this fight. But I mean... Yeah, I, it, it, it was just really, really poor. And then there was that incident, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, where Shamrock threw a kick very late on and McCarthy yells at him because he uh, he's wearing shoes, he's not allowed to throw kicks, and the commentary team are completely unaware that that's a rule. Uh, and just little things like that, and I suppose it'll be well, ironed out. Well, it's quite out. possible that Shamrock was unaware that was a rule either. That, that, I think he was. That, that's probably quite possible. It's probably, it might have even been signed that McCarthy went, hang on, you can't do that. Like, not as in, like... Because I don't know, do we know if they've got... Because it's advertised as no rules. I mean, obviously, there are rules. But well, do we know how extensive the UFC rulebook was at this stage? Apart... I I mean, they ran through the rules very early on. I can't remember what they were, but it was basically no low, no low blows was effectively it. No, the, like, rule, the, rules, just... the rules were no biting, uh, and Bob, you might touch on this earlier, but no, no biting, the ref can restart the fight, 20 or 30 minute time limits, and five minutes overtime. Uh, and it's stopped, stopped by knockout submission, Could, towel, or ref stoppage. And was that there was even it. any notice about not being able to kick someone in the bollocks? No. No, oh. no, no mention of low blows. And I was well, if Shamrock could have done that, the fight would be over a lot sooner. <laughs> well, because Shamrock sort of argued back with, not argued, but stressed to McCarthy, he sort of pointed down and said, it, it, was, sh- it was my shin, it was my shin. So it, the way I took it was that sort of he did, he did think it, he also thought it was a rule, but didn't felt like he had kicked with his shoe. If it sort of hit him with his, like, so he seemed to, like, go along with this idea that this was a rule in place, but the commentary team were completely unaware. And even the, his opponent didn't really sort of, he didn't protest, he didn't really pick up upon anything. Maybe it was just something backstage, sort of McCarthy had said to him, hey, look, if you're wearing those shoes later in the octagon, you're not, you, you can't be throwing any kicks. And maybe it was just something between two men, like, I don't want you kicking if you're wearing those in, while you're fighting. And he just said, okay. Maybe maybe it was something as simple as that, because it definitely wasn't an official rule. Yeah, maybe, but I, th- I think we, we can all agree that it should have been a lot clearer, um, and the commentary team certainly could have helped to, to, to really push that point home. Okay, uh, a question for you both. Sorry, Tom. Um, in your experience, any UFC fights more, more boring than this? No. Well, no, but the thing is, Bob, is it, the UFC fights that we watch these days, they're, they're, it's rounds, so... The maximum you'll get is five rounds, five five-minute rounds. And they, by breaking it into rounds, it gives people something to look forward to because there are no 10-minute clinches. Because there's, you know that in two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, whatever it is, they're going to have to break it up. So there's only so much boredom that can be had. And if at the start of the next round they're going to go back into the same clinch and do it five times over, they're probably not going to get paid to come back and fight again. No. Uh, that's the way it works these days. So in the answer to your question, no. 
No, I, I completely echo everything Tom said there. I've, I've not, I've not watched a, f- a fight as boring as this within the UFC ever. And uh, for the exact reasons he just laid out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's only the, the championship fights that are five, five rounds. The uh, non-championship fights are three. So if you can have a three, three round fight that's more boring than this, then Good I'll luck. pay you myself. I'll yeah. pay myself. So moving on to our final fight of the evening and it's the final of the tournament itself and it's uh, Marco Hujas uh, fighting Paul Valens. Um and the fight lasted a very decent uh, 13 minutes um, and Hujas picked up the victory um, after um, uh, it was a TKO from, from well just strikes um, so just to hit the, the, punch, the punch game uh, proved too strong so um, Bob have you got some, some notes to, to run us through the, the gist of the fight? Yes. Uh, the fight's, uh, the first match really the entire night where, you know, not, not that the opening match in the quarterfinals lasted very long, but this match had the first significant amount of standing game. Uh, Valians had the, the, the significant size, uh, reach advantage. Uh, Ruas Lee in, uh, leans in and Valians locks in a guillotine by the cage. Uh, Ruas gets Valians in the clinch, uh, the cage. There's a lot of foot stomping going on as you know, they're both just stood up by the corner essentially. Um, uh, they, they finally get broken up. Uh, and then Ruas starts hitting some lovely sidekicks to, uh, Valians left thigh. Uh, and so much show that eventually, after a, a series of kicks, Valian's left leg just collapses from underneath him, who are jumped on top of him, uh, starts unleashing some punches, and this is the first fight where the referee actually stops it, but Valian's is, you know, cowering at this point. And, uh, the, the one quote I got written down was the commentator calling him the leading tower of Valian's. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that one as well. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was a, a really good fight and a really good finish to the show, actually. Um, I, I, I uh, I think we've, we've already touched on Huha's talent, uh, and Valens really, um, was, was a worthy, cha- a worthy challenger. You know, the fact, the fact the fight went as long as it did tells that story. Um, I, I thought that the, the clinch up against the cage, uh, the cage was, it confused me. Um, I couldn't quite work out for a while what, um, Huha was, was trying to do, but I, I, I think as the commentators alluded to, he was trying to get a roll up and, and get, um, Valens, Valens on the ground, basically. Um, and he was clinging onto the cage for, for absolute dear life. Um, and I'm sure at one point I could see blood coming from his fingers because he was just gripping on so tight. Um, but Kuhars was just clearly the better fighter. He's quick. Uh, the power of those kicks was, oh, you could hear him, uh, from a mile off and the bruising on his leg. You, you could see what was happening and he was just chopping the tree down. He was literally like, they, and again, like the commentator said, you can imagine he had this tiny axe and he was trying to chop away at a redwood. And you, you could see from the fact that Valians was limping and, and, and sort of moving very slowly and sort of gingerly around the octagon. You knew what was coming. And as soon as he hit the deck, um, who was, was on top of him, pounding ground, absolutely saw it out within about five seconds of getting on top of him. And, and I think it was a well-deserved win and, and the right man won. And I, I enjoyed the fight. Chris? Yeah, I, I really like this fight. It was, um, it, it, it was just a showcase of what a complete fighter Ruha, Uha, what Ruha is, really is. Um, and it, it's a testament to that, that there was a 90 pound, uh, weight difference between the two men. And it, although it was obvious to, to watch, the fact that we haven't mentioned it through talking about the fight is just a testament to how talented he really is and how, uh, how he was able to sort of avoid that becoming a, an issue for him. The, another, uh, point I put away from it is that uh, when um, Va- Valens has him in a uh, a guillotine and he just 
lifts him off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was absolutely brutal. And then, uh, but the uh, the leg kicks just they they were used absolutely perfectly. It was like a clinic of how to use them. And as you say, just chopped him down. And the, the bruising on the leg was a a pretty uh, shocking visual. And he, he was limping very very clearly well before he went down. He even tried he tried to switch stance a few times, and just we weren't working for him. And a sort of by that sort of ten minute mark, you felt it's only a matter of time if he doesn't start checking these leg kicks, he's he's down. And he, he I don't know why, but he only started to really attempt to block them when it was too late. It, it, it was past the 10-minute mark where he first flipped through a block up for one of these kicks up until then. I don't know whether he just thought he felt like he could walk through them or... But until they really started hurting him and it maybe he saw the bruising on his own leg, but he, he just didn't bother to block, really. I don't know if it was arrogance or ignorance, but... um, And it cost him because... He just, he, he was beat by the better man and it was a very, uh, it was a clinic of how to fight despite the, uh, 90 pound weight disadvantage and he, he was a very well deserved, um, UFC 7 champion. Yeah, agreed. And I think, uh, it was an outstanding display of, of how good, uh, well, how good footwork can, can benefit you. However, it's also a, an outstanding display of how you should defend against footwork because as you say I, I couldn't understand why it took Marlon so long to realize that his leg was being absolutely battered um I guess it, as you say a bit of arrogance a bit of overconfidence a bit of ignorance um a, a bit of all three perhaps uh Bob what did you make of the fight I, I really enjoyed this um you know I, I'm not someone that's watched a lot of MMA fights from start to finish I'm sort of I, I'm someone that's seen a lot of MMA fights because someone else in the room has had them on um but in terms of you know, a lot of kind of big finishes in MMA kind of sometimes kind of come out of nowhere from what I've seen in terms of, you know, to, to quote Michael Cole. Um, but in terms of, you know, you, you'll just see, you know, they're the kind of exchanging blows and a guy will hit, you know, a, a few quick, few quick strikes and then it's all over. But what I loved about this was that you could see the finish coming who I was hitting these rights and you could just, he just kept hitting them and hitting them for about, yeah, you know, obviously not every few seconds for three or four minutes, but that was what he was doing while they were stood up. Uh, he kept hitting these you know, kind of side leg kicks to, to um, channel Eric Bischoff there. Um, and it kept hitting these kind of side kicks to, um, to Varley's his thigh. And you can, you can see him kind of, you know, visibly start to limp. And then when he finally hits that final one and like Varley's does just like crumple under, under his weight because obviously he's a big guy and his leg just couldn't stand it anymore. The crowd just popped and I did too. It was quite a involuntary reaction just seeing like this few minutes build and obviously you are just piles in on him. And as I say, this was probably the first and only example of the night or well, the only example of the night where John McCarthy actually went in and went yep this one's over i don't need any help with this uh valians is done for um and yet really enjoyed this um just to to, to flip the, the the kind of similar question to uh, on the kind of shamrock and taktura front and i'm by no means in this case saying this is the best mma fight ever don't 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 certainly get me on that level uh but but from your guys experience like, how, how good is this match and you know obviously there's no rounds but how good is this match compared to great ufc matches you were going to star rating it on a dave Meltzer style scale where, where does this fit well i'd certainly give this a very very high star rating but it's really hard for me to sort of compare because the, it's the 90 pound 
difference to compare this to modern MMA is so hard for me to get across it. It's almost like two different sports um, where in today's it's, it's a matter of a pa- half a pound here or half a pound there can result in a fight being sort of a purses lost and forfeited and fights people don't make weight and fights get put back and things like that so to have a, a 90 pound uh, difference and then the lighter guy to win just it, it was pr- pretty outstanding but in terms of comparing it to uh how i'd rank it in in, in contrast to sort of modern day mma and other ufc i've seen I, it's really hard for me to do i've almost keep them separate but i'd certainly say this was excellent yeah, I I'd agree to to for the most part. I, I I think I would rate it on two levels as as a UFC fight in terms of the actual you know uh, technical flair, flair that was shown and the skill in the octagon. Octagon, I'd give it three because I think it was good. It was it, it was a real uh, it was a really good fight. Um, uh, Who has obviously got the skill, got the got the ability, and again, as Chris says, it's kind of the weight difference makes it very difficult to say well. It would have been just as good of a, of a fight if he was fighting someone his own size and with, uh, in the same weight class because it would have been a totally different fight. So you can't really compare it against the, the current day. But in terms of entertainment, um, I think it's four star uh, or pushing on five. I really do because all the things that you would want um, in a in a UFC fight, you've you've got a story being told. And I think in comparison to the Shamrock fight, um, you could show this to a casual viewer and say, look, just sit down. It's it's thirteen minutes, twelve thirteen minutes. Just watch what happens. See if you don't get excited by the end of it. And if you don't, this isn't for you. Um, and I would be surprised, as you said, Bob, if, if there are, if there are many people that don't get a little bit of, you know, hair standing up when that that you know it's that timber moment when uh, Valens hit hit the hit the hit the deck and Fuhars was all over him. So um, I think it stands up really well from an entertainment perspective because it it also has that entertainment of David and Goliath, which it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so I think I can, I can see what you're saying, Bob. I can. Um, so that, that, that finishes us up for the, for the fights for the evening. Now, um, let's just, uh, get some, get some overall thoughts, boys, if it's all right. Just what did you think of the event as a whole? We, we, we've touched on things that we feel that the company can work on moving forward with the presentation, uh, with the way that the fights are actually structured with, you know, potentially rounds and judges and things like that. Um, how did you feel about it as your first, outing from UFC from this period overall um, anything else you'd like to add in terms of improvements to make for the future and any other other observations Chris I'll start with you um, well the tournament aspect of the UFC was definitely something I really enjoyed and it's not something I've been familiar with in terms of watching a show and I really like that uh, this show was thoroughly let down by the super fight which isn't something you should say and uh, the sooner they get judges in after this the better and I think as you say isn't it pretty swiftly I think I think the, the ultimate ultimate, which is the next show in December '95, they do have judges. So this is the the last unjudged UFC event. So yeah. if if we're doing it in 20 years mode, I'd say they need judges. Doing it uh, sort of now, uh, it's clear to see why they brought judges in so swiftly after this, because two out of three have have gone 30 minutes in overtime, and they are big letdowns when that happens. Um, in terms of improvements, again, the commentary enhanced it at times and at times maybe a lack of experience to the product or maybe they're unsure what they were meant to be like there's no sort of book on how to commentate mma at this stage like it's 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 
fairly new and I mean every fight's so different in terms of the styles there's not sort of a script these guys can work off and I think for the large most part they did they they did a really good job to enhance the action but it just needs to be fine-tuned in certain places and there was moments where they sort of took away from the action they criticized uh, finishes of fights in a way I think it was the Pardue where uh, Ruha uh, where he got into a full mount and Pardu just sort of taps out before taking a hit. They really, really got on that back, the back of that. And I'm not sure that's something I'd have my commentary team doing. Um, Particularly as Pardu could kick all of their asses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, like the, the logic of him tapping out, but it's like, well, I'm done. There's no rounds. I'm not getting out of this. Tapping, tapping out before his face gets, uh, pummeled. Like, I, I, that's fine. Like, I have no issue with that. So, just sort of maybe sort of you need to not you need to have sort of a guidebook in terms of right this is what we want you to do you need to enhance this and you need to commentate on the action in a way that would you would do if you were showing this to someone and it was their first fight so little things i mentioned earlier like where they mentioned uh that uh, shamrock has more left in the tank than his opponent and it's like well yeah why is that and it's because he's not been carrying the weight of his opponent it's been the other way around and things like that just make that connection to someone who's not been or who is completely unfamiliar to this product and to and that's the sort of hook you give to people that makes them come back for more whereas if you have people hanging without full understanding they're unlikely to revisit but i really enjoyed this show over overall um if it wasn't a if if it wasn't for the super fight then this was a sort of an eight out of ten in terms of entertainment um not not even from a mma standpoint it was just it was fun there was a lot of fun fun fights on the card and and i think the uh, the right guy won which is something that doesn't always happen even in uh sort of the pro western world where we get to pick the winners so i mean you can't even complain about that so i was pretty happy with it overall absolutely bob same question please but i would like to add bob as as a uh a more casual viewer for the UFC um, uh, MMA in general than myself and Chris. I'd like to get your thoughts on what 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 else do you think that the company could do to bring in casual viewers, and what w- what else could they do to to get the eyes on the product? Um, well, well I, I think to answer that first question is just keep promoting Ronda Rousey and hope she stays fit. Um, because I'm, t- I'm talking about in 1995. I oh, don't I think, see. I don't think she was alive. No, in fact, she probably was. I would hope she, she was. She, she's she's 27. Yeah. yeah. She's <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, firstly, in terms of overall thoughts on the show, pretty much should almost exactly echo what Chris said. Um, yeah, the super fight was anything but. Uh, but other than that, uh, as someone who hasn't seen a lot, of, I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I mean, I've been to an MMA show, so I'm, I'm by no means a complete novice. Um, but I haven't seen a lot, and I certainly haven't studied it very much. Um, to know, and, and I'm sure anyone who listens back will, will 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 hear me probably misuse guard and clinch and things like that. I, I do my best, um, but yeah, in, in terms of the the show itself, I thought it was a a fantastic kind of you know, it, it, fantastically fun to watch. Other than that super fight, I mean, you know, uh, as we said about people coming along, people who were in um, you know Buffalo in terms of watching that show in the arena there would have been people there and i'm sure there would have been people watching at home who were kind of watching it because their mate said oh i've seen this thing called ufc people beating each other up do you want to come and watch sure fine so they get in there and you get all that action early on i say well that's super fight this is excellent and and I, I pop for the main event um but but to answer the bigger question i, I think it was 
I think that there's a lot of context to the what can they do for the casual fan in the sense that, and I'll cover this in the audio bit um, that we insert at the start, is that this isn't, you know, there's no UFC TV at this point. There's not even much exposure, which which says a lot for just, the, you know, the, let me just bring up the, um, the the numbers, what they did on pay-per-view. I think it was 300,000, which when you consider at the time, WWE wasn't doing 300,000 pay-per-view, uh, no, sorry, 190,000 pay-per-view buyers, which is about consistent with what, you know, WWF and WCW were doing at the time. And they had, you know, national television and, you know, years of history and all of this. This was kind of an underground product. So I think in terms of the casual audience it's not necessarily what have they got to do to hook people in because they don't really have at this stage the the avenues really to hook people in people are going to get hooked in by word of mouth so in which case i don't think they need to do a lot there i think it's what i touched on earlier is once the people are there i think you've got to be what they should and what i hope we'll see when we when we review future usc shows i hope they're more mindful of our audience is growing we're getting you know new 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 eyes on the product that don't know a lot about either usc and mma or just more general fighting and martial arts and i think if they get that i think they're going to be more mindful of okay let's be a bit more introductory with the products and they did that at the start to a point they had the bit at the start of the show with with i think it was one of the commentators stood in the octagon and they talked about you know the two the two opposing doors and they slammed shut and it's just you your opponent and the ref they did that but they didn't do a good enough job in this show explaining the different types of martial arts and as we spoke about earlier how they impact on the fight and i think that will be my biggest takeaway would be you can't do a lot really to hook in new people but once they're watching your products, try and do a better job to contextualize it for them. For someone like me, and you know, as I say, reviewing this kind of show is difficult because I have seen more modern stuff. But if it was in '95, try and be a bit more contextual. That's what I'd say. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all the points you boys have made there. I think uh, for me, um, there's a number of things they can do, just strictly from an entertainment standpoint, to improve the, uh, the the product. I think one thing that was missing, we haven't actually touched upon, but again, that's missing that you get in the current product, and of course, is a huge thing in the pro wrestling world, uh, are just entrances. Um, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Goldberg's WCW infamous entrance was inspired from the MMA world, and that was around 1997. He started doing that. Am I right? 98. Which I means Goldberg didn't debut till 98, didn't he? Was it, it must have been 98 then. But but even so, that's only uh, three years after this. So the, the introduction. Yeah. So the introduction of the, of entrances must come pretty soon after this. Um, and I think that does add to the spectacle of the event. You know, you get the music, uh, the crowd get into it, the crowd have their favourite fighters, and it's it's the build. And there was no build in this. There was no introduction as to you know the fight means it, it obviously means something because they're fighting for money and they're fighting for um for pride but there, there's no rankings which is another big thing that happens in in today's um uh, ufc you know there's, you've got the whole i mean it's also i think the reason they do it today is because there's just so many fighters and there's the actual the roster is so much greater they have to do it that way in order to sort of classify what's a main event what's a what's a semi-main event what's a what's an opener what's on the prelims etc but um, there's a long ways to go to improve um, the overall product and how it's how it's presented. But overall, I agree with you both. I think it was a really entertaining show. And I think if, if you take the Superfight out of it, absolutely, it was excellent. It was really enjoyable. Um, and But unfortunately, for a two-hour show, when 35 minutes of it is taken up by what I can only describe as a snore fest, um, it's very hard to to forget about it and, and, and judge it um, separately and on, on its own. Um, so no, I, th- I think we, we can all agree a, a thumbs thumbs up on the on the event. 
And that will wrap up this month's show. I've jumped in on the end just to, to save time, having to write down and memorise uh, all of the kind of bits we've got to get through in the kind of post-show analysis. But that is our, our first foray into USC done. Uh, I don't know about you, gents, but I thoroughly enjoyed all that, Tom. Absolutely. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. And, uh, you know, I, I really look forward to, you know, if we decide to do this again, I really look forward to seeing how the UFC improved on their output um, come December for the Ultimate Ultimate event. I've very much enjoyed this. Uh, Tom, you are on Twitter. I am on Twitter. You can find me on MarkoutMartin, which is spelt with a Y. Excellent. Thank you very much to Tom for presenting. Uh, and to Chris White. Chris, same question. What, what, what did you kind of, you know, I know we kind of almost did it, but, you know, uh, briefly, what was your, how, how did you feel that as an opening UFC show was as, as an early on? Uh, what were your kind of thoughts? I thought it was great. It was uh, highly entertaining and it was entertaining to watch and entertaining to talk about. And if anything, it's just a shame that the uh, next UFC event, we have to wait till December for it to come up because uh, if this, if this is something we do do again, I look forward to being a part of it in the future. It it was enjoyable to uh, review, enjoyable to watch all of it. And as a uh, modern day UFC fan and someone who's never looked back into this era, era of the company, it's, uh, it'll be fun to sort of, take that journey of the evolution of the UFC in the same way that we are w- uh, with pro wrestling. Yeah, I-, I can't guarantee I'll be on the next show, depending, it'll depend on my schedule, but I- I- I'll green light uh, a review of Ultimate Ultimate in, in December. What an awful name. Oh, yeah. uh, it- it- Tom, it did remind me of something that ECW would would come up with just like a name that doesn't really make sense. They're like, yeah, but we-, we don't have another word for it, so we're just going to call it Ultimate Ultimate. And Chris, I suppose given that it was a kind of best of the best tournament, it makes sense that it's not a UFC pay-per-view number. But I suppose when you look at it, like this, this next show is UFC 8. It's not called UFC 8. And the show that follows is called UFC 8. So when we're coming up to UFC 200, let me just check on right on that. When we're coming up to UFC 200, we're actually coming up to UFC 201. And I know they've done a few other shows. They've done Brazil, Japan, and all that that weren't numbered. But this next show is UFC number eight, and it's not called UFC number eight. And it it doesn't make if you did want to do a best of the best tournament and hold it off for ten. I know ten is not a particularly massive landmark, but at least it's sort of double figures. So not give it a numbers when it's the ultimate ultimate is a bit strange. But I guess the way they're sort of thinking of it and the way they're presenting it is that the ultimate ultimate is sort of above the others. So the others all have numbers and this is its own thing. And it's like, I guess it's aside from it. It's, as you say, the best of the best. And maybe it's something they're going to revisit every so often if they're running these tournaments. And maybe at the end of a calendar year, they do, right, you were the best fighters from the year 1996. In December, we've got a tournament and you're going to be in it. Stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Wikipedia says this show was also referred to as UFC 7.5, which I guess answers the, uh, the earlier question. But anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to Tom for presenting the show. Uh, you can find, uh, me on Twitter at Boy Bamba. You can find the, uh, projects on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, all of your other wrestling action from this month, volume one. We haven't recorded it yet, but I'm anticipating the longest show we've ever done, uh, reviewing the, uh, WCW. It better be now, I suppose. Uh, WCW, the full review of the first ever Nitro. We're going to have some chat about the other Nitros as well. Full review of Full Brawl. We've also got to discuss the departure of Steve Austin, the backstage fight that Vader gets in that I think leads to him getting released the following month. 
uh, and all the stuff surrounding that. Volume 2 is WWF, a much quieter month in your, uh, in your house 3, and Volume 3 is ECW. Anyway, you can uh, find all the stuff on the website, wrestling20rs.com. We're on iTunes, uh, RSS feeds on the website. We've got an email, newsletter again on the website, uh, wrestling20rs on Twitter, uh, facebook.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. And until next time, I've been Bob Bamba. This has been the USC 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.